Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to What the Politics. This is our third episode since airing. We are recording this actually on a Friday today. Um, So we've got some great breaking news going on today. So we have an awesome special guest that we'll introduce here in a little bit. Her name is Raquel Martin. She is one of our D.C. Bureau reporters and journalists. So she's right there in the action up in D.C., constantly talking to lawmakers, constantly talking talking to uh, government leaders. So she knows all the inside scoop about what is going on over in D.C. with politics right now um, during this time. So we're going to bring her on here in a little bit. But per usual, we're going to start off our segment with a quote um, that is going to be related to the segment for today. So I'm going to let Victoria take it away with that quote. Today's quote is relating to the fourth estate. Also, known as journalism and so it's by henry anatoly grunwald and he was the managing editor of time magazine and the quote states the freedom of the press works in such a way that there is not much freedom from it and so again this quote is just to kind of set the mood set the topic set the agenda for the conversation and today's topic is about covering politics in dc can you tell our guests who you are what you do, your coffee order, and all that good <laughs> stuff. You don't have to say the coffee order, but yeah, for our guests who um, are not familiar with what you do, can you go ahead and just tell us um, what your role is? Yeah, well, my name is Rachel Martin. I'm a DC correspondent with the Next Star Nation uh, Bureau. So what I do is I work out of DC with about eight reporters. We're each assigned a region. I cover the Midwest, so I. My uh, personal duty is to reach out to lawmakers from the Midwest. I cover Illinois, Michigan, um, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri. So I covered all those senators as well as several members of Congress uh, where our stations are based. And on a day-to-day, I'm reaching out to them. Um, I'm getting reaction to what's going on at the White House, what's pending at the Supreme Court, and legislation that they are working to pass and deliberate because there was a lot of uh, division, you could say, on Capitol Hill right now. So lots of debates um, that happen with each piece of legislation that comes out. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you as we get started is, since you are, you know, you're constantly talking to, you know, political leaders, like you said. So with this election season coming up, I'm sure you've covered stories and or even just had, you know, conversations with some of these lawmakers kind of about what, you know, their general consensus is about this election season and how things have already kind of started off. You know, we had the first presidential debate this Tuesday uh, that, (laughs) you know, a lot of people watched (laughs) that, a lot of uh, opinions on how that went. Um, So what's kind of been the general consensus from some of these lawmakers? You said you cover the Midwest. So what's the consensus from some of them about kind of you know, what their opinions are, how this election season's looking from their point of view. 
Well, I think if you talk to lawmakers on either side of the aisle, they recognize how divisive things are on Capitol Hill right now and how that has spilled over into this election season. I mean, usually we have a partisan debate. We have a Democratic candidate and a Republican candidate. Uh, but because there is so much division between the two parties right now, um, it's really trickled down the ballot. And you see that in the Senate and House races. Um, so, you know, Democrats will tell you it's Republicans' fault and vice versa. Uh, so it's as far as a general consensus, I think what they can agree on is that things are not working as they are. There needs to be more conversation across the aisle. How they get to that point is unclear because of the rhetoric. It just increasingly is getting more direct, uh, the attacks are. Um, so I talked to some senators, uh, some of them who've been in Congress for decades. For instance, Senator Pat Roberts out of Kansas, he's actually retiring and I talked with him just a few weeks ago, and he was just reflecting on how Congress has changed so much since he first got there, I think, in the 80s, um, and how he's just concerned about the fate of politics because it's so partisan. I mean, when I got to covering Congress uh, maybe a year and a half ago, they were fighting over disaster relief funds. And even then, you talk to lawmakers, like, this never happened. That was one thing we could agree on is, you know, a disaster strikes. And you get people money uh, because their homes are destroyed. But somehow that turned into a partisan battle. So, you know, you just hear from lawmakers uh, this this real fatigue over the debate, but it doesn't seem as if um, there is much action being taken to try and settle this issue. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I don't know how to characterize it, but uh, you you rarely hear of optimism about how things are going to work out. I mean, they're fighting about getting COVID relief funds out to people. And that's been a, a gridlock issue for months now. Um, and, and the bottom line is they, they can't agree on how much to give people. Um, and so there is a fatigue and, and, and kind of just exhaustion with fighting with one another. But again, no resolution on fixing it. Oh, I'm sure. And which is so crazy. And, and it's interesting how you said that, you know, the the lawmaker you spoke to, uh, excuse me, I forget his name, but um, you were saying that, you know, he's been doing this since the 80s. And for his from his perspective to see that change in Congress, because our country, everyone knows our country has always been two parties. It's always been pretty split, but it is very obviously getting more and more polarized in the political arena. And for him to, you know, be able to have that opinion or have that, that outlook from the inside is really interesting that he's been there since the eighties and he's even seeing that drastic, drastic change up until this point. So that's really interesting. So covering DC and it being so polarized, what steps do you take to make sure that you show both sides of the issue? Well, I mean, every day I have to go out of my way before I put any uh, story on the air is I have to get both sides. It's just a prerequisite to putting out any political story uh, because you might think that lawmakers would agree on something, but, you know, they all come, they each come to something with a different lens. Um, so, you know, it won't make air. So every day is, sending out dozens of emails some days because, you know, Republicans don't want to talk about it or Democrats don't want to talk about it because not every topic is going to be advantageous for them politically. Um, Sometimes I've had to resort to just going down to the Capitol Hill. This is pre-COVID times, mind you, but going on in the hallways and trying to track someone down because, you know, you can't just send them an email like, let's talk about this because that might not be something they want to bring up. Um, Sometimes you have to be strategic, um, talk about 
something they want to talk about <laughs> um, and then, you know, throw in your question um, to hold them accountable to get them on the record about other issues. So um, it's a day by day situation, um, but you have to get both sides and they owe it to their constituents to speak on a lot of issues. And, and you want to do them justice by also giving them both sides of the issue. Uh, so they don't have a biased opinion at the end of the day. Well, I should have started it much earlier, but I slept in this morning, and so I woke up to an all-caps text from our executive producer uh, just saying, we are, everyone's doing this story, because, you know, there's eight of us, we usually can do all different types of stories, but everyone was going to do the story in some capacity. We're going to cover all angles of it. Exactly. Um, so that's what I woke up to, and I just, I came to, saw it, I'm like, wait, what? So I go to Twitter, um, I see the headlines, I'm like, wow, Okay. Um, so the first thing I do is just try to get out the door, get in the office, um, and start making calls. I, the first thing I did was probably before I even left the house was text some of the press officers on the Hill for some of the lawmakers I talked to, um, that I knew would, uh, be a little bit more accessible and easy to get to on such short notice. Um, so I had to line up some interviews. One of our colleagues actually went down to the Hill and set up a camera outside to do like a social distancing kind of lineup. Um, to lawmakers, hey, come by here if you want to talk about this, or can you talk about this? Um, so, like I said, it was all hands on deck, um, and you know, get a story out there. Uh, my story today was to um, ask lawmakers their reaction, and then you know, talk about the broader implications. Um, I know a lot of people concerned about what these rallies, how the rallies could have contributed to the president contracting this virus. So I know I touched on that. Um, and then there's other issues. We have a senator who also came down with COVID-19 on the same day. Um, he was last seen at um, the Saturday occasion when they announced the Supreme Court justice nominee. There's literally video of him hugging multiple people maskless. So, uh, you know, also trying to see if any of my senators I, I see in that visual um, have contracted it. And I think that's what me and several of my colleagues are doing now as we look at this video, um, see who could be vulnerable. So it's a all day um, keeping, you know, your eyes to the news and, and in your emails to get as much information to share with people. Sure. And I'm sure this was definitely, I mean, the president contracting and the first lady contracting the coronavirus, I'm sure was a wake up call kind of for a lot of people in this country who weren't really thinking that this was something to be worried of. It wasn't, you know, the people that were maybe in the high-risk category, it wasn't as dangerous as they thought it could be. But, um, you know, now our, our president and the First Lady have both contracted this. And our president is in one of the highest risk categories for this uh, virus. You know, he's 74 years old. He's considered medically obese um, by medical standards. Um, so he's in that really high risk group. And and for a lot of people, I think, especially those who have, you know, been a, a, an avid supporter of his for a long time and have kind of listened to his rhetoric of, oh, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, or he was, you know, trying to downplay it. Those recordings came out where he was saying, you know, I didn't want to create a panic about this. I think this is kind of a wake up call for people that yes, we're moving out of this stage. We're trying to get past this hump that was the pandemic that we're still going through, but it kind of it's scary and it's almost kind of bringing it back around full circle for people to be like, "Oh wait, this is still an issue and now our president has it. What are these next steps that we're going to take? What are the next steps that lawmakers can take?" You know, 
God forbid it gets worse, he gets extremely sick, um, things like that. So now there's even more talk about if something happens to him, where do we go from there with nominations and the elections and things like that? Right. And that's a lot of the conversation I had with lawmakers uh, today. You know, Democrats already saying, let's let's hold off on on moving forward with with so much when obviously so much is um, just teetering on this issue. The president's already been transported to the hospital. Uh, The White House is saying that he's going to remain there for three days. They're saying the symptoms remain mild. But as you mentioned, the president, obviously high risk, uh, given his age and his weight. Um, so, you know, everyone is on edge. And I know even Democrats, you, uh, I know they don't always agree with the president, but saying that they are keeping him in their prayers. They are not celebrating this news. Um, they want him to have a speedy recovery. Um, but, you know, on Capitol Hill, there are still so many pending issues. And, and it looks like there could be a partisan debate about how to handle moving forward. I would assume Republicans, uh, based on what I've seen from Senator Lindsey Graham talking to President Trump this morning, wanting to move full steam ahead with getting uh, the Supreme Court nominee on the court. Uh, but uh, Mike Lee, the senator who tested positive, is on the Judiciary Committee. Um, he would need to be present or he can be virtual. Uh, but some lawmakers saying that they don't want some hybrid situation. They think that because of its importance, they should be all in person. Uh, but it's probably unlikely that Republicans are going to slow things down. But again, just uh, strengthening that division on Capitol Hill in the midst of this, you know, looming crisis, it feels like. Sometimes um, in D.C., what we see on the news is that tragedy tends to bring um, both sides of the aisle together. Have you seen right. that in the midst of COVID during the pandemic? Um, I would want to say yes, but I'm try- <laughs> I'm reflecting now and and, and trying to. I, I know when the COVID when COVID nineteen first hit, and we were all pretty rattled when it you know it started to really infiltrate, and we saw this massive death. We had Dr. Fauci and the um, the uh, coronavirus task force coming and talking on the podium, talking about uh, the projections of death that we might see. And it really starts to, you know, hit home. I think everyone remembers the day where uh, I think Tom Hanks had contracted an NBA player had contracted. And I think that was like a day of panic across the country. And we felt that on Capitol Hill. Uh, we It was business as usual until it wasn't. Um, and that's when I did see some camaraderie um, lawmakers. I couldn't tell you couldn't tell who you were talking to a Democrat or Republican based on their talking points. They just, uh, you know, have come together to say, obviously, this is an unprecedented crisis. We need to get together. We need to get aid out. We need to make sure people are safe. That's all kind of onto the wayside at this point, although there's a consensus for help. Uh, you know, it looks very different on how. But at one point, I want to say, uh, March, um, maybe through, yeah, I think March is when they started passing legislation to help. Uh, we we did see them come together. Um, right now, uh, I think there is a, a sense and some decency to be coming together, obviously, that for our president. Um, and, and maybe that'll transpire into something more. Uh, but right now, it's words saying, you know, we hope the president has a speedy recovery on both sides. Um, But at this point, it's unclear what this might become later in the week. Wow. It's really good to hear, you know, that you're saying these lawmakers that you've talked to are saying or or in the past have said that, you know, we're hoping for sweetie recoveries. We hope that the president and his wife are going to be okay, um, praying for them to be healthy, things like that. But then on the other side, it's it's really great to hear that from some of them 
But, you know, seeing a lot of people on social media, a lot of people are kind of celebrating the fact, um, which is super unfortunate. If anything, I mean, you would hope that, you know, he's not a loved guy by everybody, but you would think that the country would hopefully come together in a time like this where our we're in an election season. Our president and his his wife have just contracted the virus. All the other, um, you know, Vice President Pence, former Vice President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and her husband, they all had to get tested as well. And thank God they obviously tested negative. But for some of the people in the country right now are, are kind of rooting for the president to not get better and to be unhealthy, which is sad because you would want an issue like this to bring people together, like Victoria said, but unfortunately it seems like it's almost dividing people even more at, at this point. I, I, I honestly haven't seen any of the uh, celebration online because I've been so entrenched in what's happening on Capitol Hill. Yeah, well, that's um, because they're nasty. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. And I know the internet can bring out the worst in people. Um, I would just hope that, you know, no, I mean, it's immoral to, to wish bad on anyone. So right. uh, it seems that most of the, the lawmakers I talk to on Capitol Hill are, are you know, staying above um, that type of uh energy and, and um, really just trying to come together at this point um, and really saying that this should be a teachable moment. I know lawmakers on both sides of the aisle um, saying this, um, saying that people should take wearing masks more seriously. I know I heard that from a Republican today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Democrats saying, you know, this uh, virus does not discriminate and, and really yeah. urging people to take it more seriously. I know I talked to a Democrat out of Iowa and Iowa is seeing an uptick and has been for a few weeks, I believe now. Um, and they don't have a mask mandate. And I, I know when I talked to uh, Democrats and he asked me about this issue today, she was just hoping that, you know, through the silver lining of this all could really be that people take this virus more seriously, social distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, things we've been hearing from the CDC for weeks now. Um, she's hoping that this finally might hit home for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, as a journalist, um, how, how long have you been uh, reporting from D.C.? Um, I've only I've been here for about a year and a half now. I, I was before a state house reporter in um, Illinois in Springfield. So I covered politics from the Capitol there in Illinois. Very cool. As a um, journalist, do you see or do you feel a divisive um, uh, divisive aura between journalists and lawmakers? Or do you think that you have a pretty good relationship with most lawmakers? Um, I have a pretty good relationship. Sometimes it can be a little contentious just because of the questions, the line of questions you might have to ask them. And I know I've had uh, to warm up to some of them. Uh, you know, people are wary of journalists sometimes in their line of questioning. But uh, I mean, I think we both have to work together. It's a collaborative effort. Um, I'm not going to misconstrue what you're saying. I'm going to simply just be the messenger and let people know. So I try to play fair. Um, and um, yeah, I think we have a good working relationship. Um, sometimes accessibility can be a little bit rough on Capitol Hill because some of these lawmakers have meetings after meetings. And sometimes they don't want to talk about certain things. So I've already explained having to kind of hunt them down at times. Um, but the relationship works well. I know I cover, you know, local issues and a regional focus. So sometimes I think that 
there is an appreciation that I'm not, you know, always coming at them about what President Trump said that day. You know, I realize that a big part of your constituent base is corn farmers, for instance. So I dig in deep with trade issues. I dig in deep with agriculture issues. And I'm going to ask you about biofuels that, you know, other people aren't going to ask you. And you you know, have an appreciation that we're actually talking to the people at home for you. Um, so I think because of that, too, it actually works out better that, you know, we know who your your viewers are. We know who your constituents are. And, and we're talking about the issues that matter to them. And I think there is an appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. And so um, in this line of work, being a journalist obviously isn't a nine to five job. Can you tell our guests how much you work and what you do um, to pull out those stories, to get story ideas, and to um, get in contact and be that sort of medium between lawmakers and their constituents? Well, I mean, I, I do have a, um, I guess, technically a nine to five, but you know, you with especially how political news has been um, the past since I got here, I should say, it really doesn't stop. And my job is to be fully informed. I I really can't just only pay attention to the news when I'm on the clock. So my day, I wake up, I listen to about four podcasts. um, One kind of giving me a look forward to the day. I listen to political playbook because those are the, you know, they know all the developing updates and everything. Um, I listen to about four of them. And um, then when I get off of work, it's not as if I turn off. There's usually something floating out there as I'm putting a a separate story together that, you know, I want to build off on the next day or I want to follow up on. So, you know, during the day I might focus on one story, but if I get an interview with one lawmaker, I'm going to ask them about 5,000 different subjects so I could be ready for the next day. Um, And when I get off of work, I usually have to kind of unplug for mental health sake, um, but I'm not ever completely unplugged. My push notifications are on for the president. I get all of his tweets. I get a lot of my lawmakers tweets just to see if something's changing. I mean, I have to be, aware you never know if you're going to need to come into the office and do something or you're going to need to ask them a question um about something tomorrow you just never want to be the worst worst feeling in the world is interviewing a lawmaker and not being aware of something and you should have asked them about it their voice would have been so important on a particular issue policy anything happening and you miss that opportunity it feels as if you let people down so yeah it's a full 24-hour you know plug-in Uh, I know a lot of journalists this year have felt, you know, a little worn down because this news cycle has been so intense. So there are days I do have to unplug to a certain extent, but those don't have the luxury to do it uh, too much. Um, Maybe a a day to, you know, unplug. And sometimes there are slow news days. I just forget what that feels like right now. But (laughs) um, that's something me and Victoria were actually talking about a little bit earlier. Um, is unplugging because of the way that kind of what's going on in the news right now, what's been going on in the news, you know, since March and April with the COVID-19 and, and all of this stuff. And it, and it can get negative and it can get emotionally yeah. draining. So we were actually talking about that earlier because I was telling her, you know, I, I have anxiety. I have to go home and unplug. I have to because I can't bring – you know, all of the emotions and everything that, you know, I I looked at and, and experienced throughout the day by reporting on it. And then I need to go home and I need to unplug and not focus on that stuff because it can be very draining in this job. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right. I was up at 1 a.m. I got that notification at 14 minutes after he tested positive. I was like tweeting. I was like <laughs> trying to see what was going on. I was like, but yeah, it, it is a necessary thing to do to, to unplug at least yeah. a little right. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, one of the last things um, I want to talk to you about is earlier you mentioned um, when we were talking about political stories and you were saying, you know, you have to make it a point for your job for doing political stories at the DC Bureau to have both sides, to have an a factually unbiased package that you can present to people showing both sides, what those both sides, what information they want to give, what comments they want to give on that subject. So let's talk about the importance of unbiased news right now. Um, and Because a lot of people, I think a lot of viewers – don't understand that a lot of news stations are not biased. Our job is to truly be unbiased because, I mean, I myself have, you know, I wrote in uh, an excerpt one day uh, for a little story I was doing about a new ice cream place that was opening up. And I was like, it's amazing. I love their ice cream. You guys should go check it out. And I got yelled at. They're like, you cannot say that. That's an opinion. And it took, I was like, whoa. (laughs) Like, and I think people, viewers don't really realize that that's our expectation. So we really are trying to bring the most unbiased news to you guys. We're, I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. Obviously, you know, CNN, Fox, way up there, they're supposed to have an opinion. That's essentially what they get paid to do. So let's talk about, you know, how important it is, obviously, for you to have unbiased news stories and, you know, why why you feel that that's so important, especially with political stories, especially with the time that's going on right now. Um, so let's talk about that. Right. And I it's an important uh note to touch on is that we are so different than what CNN, Fox, MSNBC are. I mean, they have analysis and they pride themselves on having experts, which is fine. Um, but that's not what our job is. Um, they do have reporters that are completely unbiased on all those networks. But I mean, you tune into uh, Cuomo or uh, Hannity, they are there to have a discussion with viewers. Um, what we do is completely different. We go out there, we engage and interview people, and we set you up to see both sides completely. And it's so important that people understand the distinctions right now, because obviously there is real animosity towards uh, re- uh, reporters. I just saw a tweet today out of uh, St. Louis, someone uh, being attacked, a journalist, um, because there is a stigma that we are, you know, spinning propaganda news. And that's just so far from the truth. Um, I mean, especially with so much animosity, people, we go out of our way. Um, you know, anything I put on the news, I get straight from a lawmaker. I get confirmed. I don't retweet anything that I haven't gotten my inbox confirmed myself. Yeah, I go out of my way to confirm everything. Um, and, and if I am going to have someone who's going to put their opinion in, I, I mean, I go out of my way to make sure I get the opposing opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, my job isn't to make you believe any particular viewpoint. I'm simply here to lay out the facts so that you are an informed citizen, especially when it comes to politics. I think so many people come into politics to inform people about what they have the power to do and and and. Uh, engage people and let them know that 
or keep them informed so that they can take action so that they can vote or vote out people that stand for their beliefs. I mean, it's really up to you, but we're never going to be uh, a lawmaker's press person. I mean, you, you get lawmakers um, or offices that, you know, would probably want you to write a certain way or, or you know, represent their member a certain way, but that's not our job. Um, and that is, I, I mean, I'm not here to make friends with lawmakers. I'm like, I, I just feel as if I'm supposed to be some sort of liaison between their constituents who need to know and be informed, like I said, to make the best decisions for their lives and their families. Um, and that, that's the objective. And I think every journalist comes into the job looking at it that way, um, despite popular belief that we are there to, uh, I guess, recycle our own beliefs. Um, right. That's that's not who I'm interviewing for. I'm interviewing for um, their constituents. Yeah, I what would they want to know? I love that the the phrase that you use, the liaison for the constituents, the lawmakers' constituents. That's really awesome. That's really great. Um, well, I think we. That's all we got for you today. Um, we are going to wrap up this segment of What the Politics. Raquel, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We know you are super, super busy up there in D.C., so we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And, I mean, this is a, we had such an important discussion, and I, I love that we had the chance to be transparent and really kind of take you behind the scenes because I think – uh, like you've already mentioned, so much misconception about uh, the job of a political journalist, journalist in general. So I, I'm just glad to set the record straight and give people a little bit of insight that, you know, we're humans too, and we're really just trying to be a public servant to a certain extent. Definitely. And thank you for being that person to go behind the scenes with us and showcase, you know, what we do, what you do um, to our viewers, because I think that is super important. So we're going to wrap up this session of What the Politics. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us for this episode. And again, we will be airing every episode. There will be a new episode, excuse me, aired every Tuesday. So stay tuned for that.